Jesus' life is a testament to just how much God loves us. This is the second message in the series, Reasons to Believe. This message is entitled, I Believe Because of the Life He Lived. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. I'm doing a series of messages, as I said, leading up to Easter, entitled Reasons to Believe, How to Have Confidence in Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you. I talked to you about last week about the confidence we can have in the words of Jesus, and I want to talk this weekend about the confidence we can have in the life that Jesus lived. We have confidence in Jesus because he lived a particular kind of life. I'm going to unpack that for us in a few moments. The focus of our attention in the series is the Gospel of John. I really encouraged you to take time and read the Gospel of John. There are 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. You can take a chapter a day, a day, and in 21 days, you can complete the entire book, and it's a great way to sort of stay with our series as we're going through this time together. And the Gospel of John is a very unique gospel. We have four gospels, four accounts of the story and life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. They're called that because the word synoptic means to see together. So there are many of the same stories and the same flow that you'll find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John takes a very different approach to his gospel account. Matthew is writing the account of the gospel of Jesus primarily to the Jews. He's helping them to understand that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Mark is writing primarily toward the Romans and the Roman culture of that time. And Luke was writing primarily toward the Greek culture of that time. But all of them obviously presenting the story and life of Jesus for our time as well. But when you come to the Gospel of John, you find that John's Gospel not only begins in a very different way, but really unfolds in a very different way. The Gospel of John is unique, and that's why it's oftentimes uh, we encourage new believers, someone who recently has come to faith in Christ, to read the Gospel of John. It really is a wonderful story unpacking who Jesus is as the Son of God. And in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John makes it very clear the reason why he wrote this Gospel. He gives us the very purpose behind his 21 chapters of the life of Jesus. He's wrapping up. He's about to get to the last chapter. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Then he goes on to say, but these are written that you may, he said, I wrote these, this is written, the stories I've given you here are written that you may, so that, here's the reason, so that you may, what? Believe, but believe what? Believe that. Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus is the Son of God. God. Now, stop there for a moment. John says, I'm giving you this gospel account for one purpose and one purpose only. I've had this in my mind from the time I began chapter 1, verse 1. I'm leading you to the point of believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by... Help me out here. By believing, there's a result of that you may have life in His name. John says, what I want you to understand is that this book has been given to move you toward believing. It's very interesting when you study the Gospel of John that when he uses the word believe, he always uses this word as a verb. He never uses it as a noun. He always uses it as a verb. It's something that relates to action, something that you do. Belief is not just something you hold in your mind. Belief is something that actually changes the way that you live your life. And so the Gospel of John says, I want to move you toward a belief that changes the way you think and changes the way you live and changes the way you relate. So 
you'll know that Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you can have an experienced life in His name. I want you to believe. I want there to be a solid belief system, not just in your mind, but in the way you live your life. And I would say that if anything is needed in our culture today, we need Christians who are really caught up with a deep belief in who Jesus is. Because Jesus is the only answer to the problems the world is facing today. Politics will never solve our problems, no matter what party might be in office and where you land in terms of your political views. None of that kind of stuff really ever changes the heart of individuals. What will change a person is coming to faith in Jesus Christ and having life in his name. And so John says, I'm giving you this gospel. I'm writing to you so that you'll come to this place of having something that is a solid belief inside of you that will not be shaken. It changes the way you think and it changes the way you live. I want to give you reasons to believe, reasons to have confidence in Jesus. So last weekend, we talked about how can we have confidence? How can we believe in Jesus this way? How can we know that he's the Messiah? How can we know in a world that presents so many options from a spiritual standpoint of how you can supposedly get to God, how can we know that Jesus is the only way? How can we know that Jesus indeed is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God? Well, we talked last weekend, as I said, about the words he spoke, but I I want to share with you this weekend about the life that he lived And we have faith and confidence in who Jesus is because he lived a unique kind of life. There's something very distinct about the life of Jesus. And I'm going to do my best this weekend to walk you through eight things that are distinct about the life of Jesus. And I hope I'll get through all of them. I'm going to do my best. And hopefully we'll be out by midnight somewhere around that time. I hope we will. And I'm going to try to do this very rapidly. But I want you to stay with me. So everybody ready? you got to know that Jesus' life is different, okay? Number one, the first thing that we learn about Jesus is that Jesus is unique because Jesus exists eternally. A lot of people think that Christmas was when Jesus was created. No, Christmas was not when Jesus was created. Christmas is not the creation of Jesus. Christmas is the advent of Christ into our world. It is God coming in flesh into our world. And Jesus' life is unique because Jesus is eternal. Jesus is not someone that was created in Bethlehem, born of the Virgin Mary, and came into our world as a human being only in a unique time and space. Indeed, he did, but he is the same God that has existed throughout creation, throughout, throughout eternity. Listen to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. Now, of course, we talked last weekend, that's the word logos, is the, what it means there. It means it's the expression, the, the communication of God. He was, it came in, He was the existing Word, and the Word was existing with God, that's was with God, and the word was or existing God, and he was with God in the beginning. It goes on to say in verse number two, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. So in essence, what happens here is that John very clearly starts out his gospel laying out for us the eternal existence of Jesus Christ. He did not come into the world to be born into existence in Bethlehem. He has existed for everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting. Look at John chapter 8. Notice what it says. Verily, truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, what? 
I am. Even before Abraham came on the scene, I am. I have existed throughout creation. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus makes it clear that from eternity past to eternity future, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the eternal God. There is no one else that has ever claimed that or proven themselves to be that in all of history. You need to say amen right there. Okay. I'm going to coach you along when you need to say amen because you're kind of bad at the habit, all right? He, is the, he exists eternally. His life is an eternal life. The second thing that we see uniquely about the life of Jesus is that Jesus fulfilled prophecies. Now, why am I teaching this? Because I want you to have confidence in who Jesus is. Because the more confidence you have in who Jesus is as the Messiah, the Son of God, the better your life will be and the more peace you'll have in your life. If you really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and he is the one who was and is and is to come, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. It's going to benefit your life greatly. It's been estimated that Jesus, when he was living on earth, fulfilled somewhere between 300 and 450 prophecies from the Old Testament. Just depends upon how you count. There are different numbers that are used there, but somewhere between 300 and 450 prophecies that were spoken from the Old Testament that Jesus absolutely fulfilled during his time on earth. On your notes, or at least on our website, if you'd like to take this information down at church-redeemer.org resources, I've given you a whole list, not, a, not, an, not an exhaustive list, but a list of 16 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled during his earthly ministry. And you can use that study. The scripture's there for you. Again, go to church-redeemer.org slash resources, and those are available for you. Let me give you a few of them. He was, he was, it was prophesied that he would be a descendant of, of Abraham, and indeed he was. He would be a prophet like Moses. Indeed, he was. he was. He would sit on the throne of David. Yes, he did. He would be born a virgin. We all know that to be true. He would perform miracles. He would arrive. His arrival would be announced by a special messenger. That was John the Baptist. This is prophesied in the Old Testament. He would be spat upon and beaten. That's in the Old Testament. He would be rejected by people. He would die for our sins. He would not answer his accusers. He would be counted with sinners. He would be born in Bethlehem. He would be, be, be betrayed by a friend. He he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. He would be pierced or crucified for the sins of the world. He would rise from the dead. Here's just 16 of the 300 to 450 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled while he was on earth. And let me remind you, these prophecies were spoken hundreds of years before Christ even came. What are the odds of anyone being able to fulfill all of those prophecies? You, you do the math. You do the odds and try to figure that out. Jesus his life is unique because he fulfilled prophecies. And the more confidence you have in him, as I said a moment ago, the better your life will be. Number three, the third reason that Jesus' life is unique is because Jesus himself declared his own divinity. Divinity means to be God. Okay? Jesus declared himself to be God. He declared his own divinity. Now I tell you, if you walk around and say, saying you're God... Either you are a liar, or as C.S. Lewis said, a lunatic, or you're actually the Lord. 
And he, he declared himself to be God. One of the ways that Jesus declared himself to be God was with a phrase we saw it a moment ago, and I'll give you more of these in just a moment, the I am. Does anyone remember where the I am phrase originates? You go back to the time that Moses was encountering God in the burning bush, and Moses, God tells Moses to go and deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, and, and Moses says, well, God, I, I, what am I going to say when I go and tell them that I'm supposed to deliver them out of Egypt and bring them across the Red Sea toward the promised land? Who will I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them I am that I am sent you. And so there's the word Jehovah, there's the word Yahweh that we might be familiar with. And so when Jesus used the I am statement, he was linking himself with Jehovah God, Yahweh God. He was declaring indeed his own divinity. And all throughout the pages of John's gospel, you will find the I am's of Christ. And by the way, these are on your resource page also. But let me take you through some of the I am's that Jesus spoke. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Anybody partaken of the bread of Jesus and found out he satisfies? I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Here, here are the seven I am statements that Jesus made of his own life. These are bold statements, as I said a moment ago. Anyone who makes statements like this would either be lying about themselves or crazy or they're actually who they say they are and they're able to back up their very claim. And Jesus, in fact, backed up his claim. He says this very clearly. I am the bread of life. I, I went through all those already. Let me see if I can go down. I didn't know these were on here. I didn't remember that. This is what I want you to see. Read it with me. Anyone who has seen me has seen what? The Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Would you agree that's a pretty bold statement? And so when we talk about relationship with God, how do we have a relationship with God? We have to come to terms with the I am statements of Jesus. Do we believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do we, hold, do we believe in such a way that it changes our behavior? Here's the fourth thing. Jesus pleased God perfectly. This is the life that he lived. He pleased God perfectly. Now, to help you to understand this, I need to give you a little bit of a diagram here. Let's see if you can see this. Here's God, and God is, I'll use this phrase over here, is perfectly holy. There is no sin in God. Do you agree with that? No sin in God at all. Perfectly holy. Here we are down here on earth as human beings. And the Bible says of us as human beings, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're the exact opposite of what God is, right? God is perfectly holy, and all of us as human beings are born into this world as sinners, right? Would you disagree with me tonight? That's me. I know I'm a sinner, right? We understand that. The problem is, because we're sinners... We can't relate to God. There's a gap. Big gap between us and God. We can't relate to God because we're, we're sinners. We can't, you can't put holiness 
and unholiness, righteousness and unrighteousness together. They don't blend. You can't blend light and darkness, right? What is darkness? Darkness is the absence of light. What is light? Light is the absence of darkness. And so what we see is we understand this. These two cannot connect. There's a problem here, okay? You can't put sin in the presence of a perfect holy God. And so the the problem was we didn't as human beings have a way to get to God. We could not relate to him. In fact, the Old Testament, as I'll talk about here in just a moment, the way they spent their time in the Old Testament trying to appease the perfection or holiness of God is through a sacrificial system. And so because every time they would sin, they would take a a goat or an animal and they would put it on the sacrifice uh, on the altar and the blood would be let from that animal. The animal would be killed and sacrificed. And so for a period of time, that was an atonement until they sinned again. Then they had to come and bring another sacrifice. And so they're in this constant flow of trying to get enough animals killed to keep themselves in, pre- in the presence or in atonement with God. That's a key word, at one with God. And so that was the sacrificial system. And so what needed to occur if we were going to ever have any relationship personally with God is that we needed someone that could bridge the gap between us sinful people and a perfect holy God. That's the issue. That's the problem. And that's why John 3.16 is so important for God so loved the world that he gave or sent his only son that those who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But for the one to come to be our perfect sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice had to be perfect. There couldn't be any sin in the sacrifice. Even in the Old Testament, you had to bring an unblemished lamb for the sacrifice. You couldn't bring the worst of the flock. You had to bring an unblemished lamb for the sacrificial atonement for your sins. And so there was a need for a perfect final sacrifice so that we could eventually have relationship with God. And that's exactly who Jesus is. He came and in his perfection on the cross, we have Jesus. And Jesus came, and he lived a perfect God. He pleased God perfectly. He never sinned so that he could be the perfect sacrifice on the altar called Calvary or the cross so that now when we look with faith in him through Jesus, we're able to have relationship with God. Anyone want to give God some praise for that? Aren't you glad you have a bridge to God right now? Okay. See, we... We would never have had a relationship with God or never could have a relationship with God without Jesus. Jesus is. That's why he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And so as sinful human beings, we needed the sacrifice of a perfect Savior to come and pave the way so that sacrifice could be accepted by a perfect God. And so when you and I put our faith in Jesus, he takes on our sin, he did so on the cross, and he gives to us his righteousness. Think about that for a moment. This is the gospel. This is what church is all about. This is what being a Christian is all about. Being a Christian is not about just always feeling good and always being happy about things. No, being a Christian is celebrating the reality of what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. He gave his life. He took my sin and your sin, and he took all that on himself, and he went and and accepted the penalty or the payment for that sin so that we could receive his gift of righteousness so that you and I can go into God's presence 
presence any time now and fellowship with Him and worship Him and pray to Him and have His involvement in our lives because of Jesus, okay? That's the value of this, okay? But the only way this, this was going to work was that Jesus had to live a life that pleased God how? Perfectly. Now let's go back here to John chapter, John chapter 1, verse 29. Here's John the Baptist introducing Jesus to some of his disciples. Then then John the Baptist, John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the, what have we been talking about? The sacrifice, right? Look, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. In other words, he's going to be the one upon whom the penalty for sin will be placed and take away the sin of the world. John chapter 8, look at this. John 8, 29, the one who sent me, these are the words of Jesus, is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. I always do what pleases him. Look at 1 John. We're now in the letter of 1 John. But you know, John is writing still here. He's talking about Jesus. But you know that he, Jesus, appeared so that he might, there's that phrase again, take away our, and in him is no sin. There's no one that has ever lived that can claim to have lived the life that Jesus did, always pleasing God, and in whom there was never any sin. This is the uniqueness of Jesus' life. You can believe in him because of the life that he lived, because he lived a life that perfectly pleased God. Number five, the fifth thing. Jesus demonstrated God's grace and mercy. Now, Before Jesus came, as I mentioned a moment ago, people related to God on the basis of law and sacrifices. Remember what I talked about a while ago? Right? God had laws. And when the law was broken, you brought a sacrifice. And every time you break the law, you bring back sacrifices. So this was the whole system. And so they lived under what I would call a a judgmental system system. They were always trying to get back right with God. It was always that ongoing process, never having a completely clean conscience because they're always living in this judgmental sense of where have I messed up? What have I done? What does God have against me? Okay. And so they're living with this. And by the way, even the Pharisees during Jesus' time, they were self-righteous. They had convinced themselves that they were better than everybody else. And so they adopted the same spirit, and that spirit was a judgmental spirit. And so the whole spirit of the law coming at people during the time of Jesus was judgment, judgment, judgment. God's mad at you. God is going to get you. God is about to destroy you in some way. They lived with the fear of punishment all the time, okay? It was a constant atmosphere of that kind of judgment. But when Jesus came along, what happened was everything changed because Jesus gave his hardest words not to sinners, but gave his hardest words to the judgmental Pharisees. In fact, sinners found out that Jesus was their friend. Did you hear that? That should make you feel better. Because all of us here are sinners. 
And so Jesus came and discovered that, or, 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 or when Jesus came, people started discovering that Jesus hangs out with sinners, not to be like them, but so that he could redeem them and bring them into relationship with himself. And so everything's kind of flipped on the end from what they had lived under before law, and now suddenly Jesus comes on the scene, and he's introduced something called Grace. And now grace is something people are starting to experience from, from, from their exposure to Jesus. He's living a life of grace. He's living a life of mercy. He's beginning to show things that they didn't understand about God. Well, maybe God's not mad at me. Maybe God wants a relationship with me. And so here's the situation. It's really perhaps best demonstrated by what you saw in the video earlier today. One of the accounts that Jesus, uh, we have from John in the Gospel of John chapter 8. I'm not going to read it for you. You know the story. Let me tell it to you very quickly. There was a day when a woman was caught in the very act of adultery. And so here are the Pharisees, these religious men who were self-righteous and judgmental. And so they grab this lady caught in the act and bring her into the presence of Jesus and cast her to the ground and, and declare to Jesus, the law says that she deserves to be stoned. That's what the law says. The law says, kill this lady. We caught her in the act of adultery. What do you say? What are you going to do, Jesus? How are you going to handle this situation? Now, there was an ulterior motive, I believe, in the Pharisees. They were actually somehow seeking to kind of catch Jesus in a, in a bind here in, in, in the situation they were presenting. But Jesus kind of threw everything, threw a wrench into the whole situation because he, he kneels down. He doesn't say a word. He kneels down on, on the ground, and he takes his finger, and he starts writing in the dirt. It's been contemplated by lots of different Bible teachers and scholars. What did Jesus write in the dirt? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say what Jesus wrote in the dirt, but whatever he wrote in the dirt, the Bible says that these Pharisees that were standing with rocks in their hands, getting ready to stone this lady, they began to leave that environment. They walked away from the oldest to the youngest. They walked out of the crowd and left Jesus there alone with this adulterous lady. What was it that Jesus wrote? I don't know, but I will speculate what I believe. I believe that Jesus started looking at the oldest guy there, and he starts listing some of his sins. And then he goes down and starts listing some sins that only they knew about in their minds or lives. And so Jesus starts to bring some exposure to those who are trying to expose someone else. And so here's the situation. Jesus is, is now confronting them with the reality perhaps that they are sinners and they all walk away. And Jesus said, where's your accusers? And finally no one is there. And, and, and Jesus, the lady says, I don't have any accusers. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Would you agree with me that was a really good day for that lady? Why? Because she came into the crowd thrown down expecting to be stoned, expect, expecting to be put to death, but she leaves a forgiven free lady. Go your way and sin no more. Here's what I want you to see, that when Jesus came on the scene, he came on and he revealed to us the heart of God. He, was de he demonstrated grace and mercy. He lived a life that showed us that Jesus is the friend of sinners. He will help you if you'll come to him. It doesn't mean that he will leave you in your sin. 
The Bible says he said to this lady, go your way and sin no more, but he brought her redemption and restoration. Number six, the sixth thing. The life that he lived, Jesus communicated wisely. I'm going to touch this one quite, quite quickly here because we talked a bit about this last week. There was a divine wisdom in the way that Jesus spoke. I mean, he just communicated so wisely. I'll put it to you this way. Have, 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 have your words ever gotten you in trouble? Have your words ever gotten you in trouble? Now think of it. Here was Jesus being constantly questioned by the Pharisees. All kind of things set up to try to catch him in something, okay? And Jesus never missed a moment to communicate wisdom. He never got in trouble by his words. Not a single time. He, every time they tried to trap him, he would find a way to communicate with wisdom in the situation. And so here's the life that he lived. His words were always wise in every situation. John 6, 68. Notice what it says. And you'll see this on the screen. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so Jesus communicated with divine wisdom. Number seven, the seventh thing is that Jesus demonstrated divine wisdom authority. This is how he lived. You see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called miracles. Now, the reason, again, that I'm giving you this, laying this out for us is because I want you to have confidence in who Jesus is, to know that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Why? Because it benefits your life, and it brings peace to your life, and it gives you a mission for your life as well to share his good news with others. Jesus demonstrated divine authority. You see it in all kinds of situations. He healed sickness, he healed diseases, he dealt with demons, he, 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 on the Mount of Transfiguration, he had the experience with Elijah and Moses there before uh, Peter, James, and John. He has this moment that he, he deals with the, with the contrary forces of nature. Here's this, this one that's proclaiming himself to be the Son of God, but he doesn't just proclaim it with words, he backs it up with authority. I'm not going to read the story for you in John 6. You can read it on your own, but here's a story that you know well. Jesus has sent his disciples across the Sea of Galilee, and they're crossing the sea, and they have this terrible storm that happens as they're going across there. And Jesus, early in the morning, comes walking to them on the water. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you did that? <laughs> See, he's not just saying I'm God. He's demonstrating the authority of God. He's showing I have authority over the thing I created. Are you with me tonight? Because he's commanding the water to be firm underneath his feet. And so there is a, there's a authority that he has over nature. And then, of course, he gets in the boat with the disciples, and he speaks the word, and the, and the wind and the waves die down. Again, authority over nature. So you see that he doesn't just say, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah. He demonstrates it by his authority. Last thing I'll give you this weekend. Jesus divided time and history. Our measurement of time and history is marked by two, two primary periods. B.C. and A.D. If you're in the secular world, 
before common era and common era, before Christ, Anno Domini, Domini. Here you see that Jesus Christ divided history. Why did Jesus divide history? He divided history because of the uniqueness of his life, the uniqueness of his ministry, and that alone should provide you the, uh, some kind of an awareness of the kind of impact that Jesus had upon our world. There's nobody else before or after Jesus that was so significant that they said, we need to put a marker on time and history right there because something's different after that guy was here. Something's different after he showed up on this planet. It was B.C., before Christ, and now A.D., in the year of our Lord. Incredible. What are we learning in this series together? We're learning that John wrote his gospel so that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. How can we believe? We can believe. We can believe because of the words Jesus spoke, and we can believe because of the life Jesus lived. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.